Hi, welcome to Bookie, which unlock big ideas from world's bestsellers in audio, text, and mind map. Please download Bookie at Apple Store or Google Play with more features, get your free mind snack now. Today we will unlock the book The Age of Empathy, Nature's Lessons for a Kinder Society. First, consider these two questions. Are people selfish by nature? Does the progress of human society depend on competition or reciprocity? Perhaps some will answer that people are selfish by nature, and human social progress depends on competition. According to economists, our function in the world is to consume and produce. And according to biologists, the top priority for humans is to survive and reproduce. Behind both views seems to lie a central logic of necessary competition. Some case studies and observation of social phenomena seem to confirm this assertion. In 2005, Hurricane Katrina struck the state of Louisiana. While the American people were paying close attention to disaster relief measures, on the news, a guest speaker argued that the misery of others is none of our business. The commentator made their remarks after the entire nation had watched people losing their homes, being crammed into hotel rooms, families having to relocate hundreds of miles away, staying with their grandparents or displaced parents having to stay in their children's homes, people struggling to care for their domestic pets. Those without the means to evacuate were left behind. They had to shelter in the Louisiana Superdome with nothing to eat. These tragic scenes didn't evoke any sympathy in this guest's heart. With media images of the old, isolated, and poor marooned in the city with no resources, think about it. Isn't the guest's insensitivity strong enough evidence to suggest that people lack compassion and do not care about the fate of their fellow humans? Although the American public didn't pay much attention to the hurricane victims in the immediate aftermath, people gradually began to feel the aftershock of the calamity. As social anxiety deepened, large quantities of relief supplies poured into the disaster area. This provision of aid vindicates Franz de Waal's belief that humans are not by nature purely selfish. One of the key points this book is trying to make is that we all have the capacity for cooperation, sharing, and caring for the weak. De Waal indicates that this capacity is a force that bonds humans together and drives people's harmonious reciprocity. It exists at the core of human nature. Franz de Waal is a renowned Dutch psychologist, zoologist, and ecologist. He is the Charles Howard Candler Professor of Primate Behavior at Emory University, and he is undoubtedly one of the world's best-known primatologists. In 1993, he became a member of the Royal Netherlands Academy of Arts and Sciences. Subsequently, he was selected to be a member of the American National Academy of Sciences and the American Academy of Arts and Sciences. In 2007, Time magazine named him among the world's 100 most influential people. He has published many books throughout his distinguished career. One of his most famous works Chimpanzee Politics is also available on our app. In this bookie, we will explain the key themes of the age of empathy in three parts. Part 1. Are humans selfish by nature? Part 2. Biological mechanisms of empathy and sympathy. Part 3 possible social ramifications of empathy. Let's look at the first question, are people selfish by nature? Deval indicates that many people hold firmly to the belief in every man for himself. People feel that competition is good for you. 
These opinions indicate a fundamental misunderstanding of the logical nature of biological evolution and the universal character of all living things. For example, they believe that nature is governed by principles of dominance that only the strong survive. Individual greed for power and resources is the essence of evolution and the driver of progress. Deval applies the insights of a zoologist to refute these viewpoints one by one. Deval provides a case study based on chimpanzees' behavior. At a field station, researchers would sometimes give the chimps food that could be shared, such as a large watermelon. The apes were all hungry for the watermelon, but if one chimp was the first to grab the food for themselves, the other chimps would respect the first chimp's ownership and wouldn't fight for a share. Instead, they asked for a piece of the watermelon, gesturing with an outstretched hand. If they didn't get what they wanted, the apes would roll around and make a fuss. After twenty minutes, usually, all of the chimps would have been allowed a little bit of the melon. Whenever a chimp was successful, they would share it around with the others. Sharing and cooperating is a prevalent behavior in chimpanzee groups. Wolves and killer whales also share this trait. This type of animal is known as a group predator. Many animals survive not by eliminating each other or keeping everything for themselves but by cooperating and sharing. In addition to informal cooperation, primates living in groups such as chimpanzees, rhesus monkeys, and pigtail macaques have established reciprocal systems and a community spirit. For instance, rhesus monkeys will resist external invasion by forming a trust alliance. Should clashes arise between members of a group their fellow monkeys will act as mediators, regulate internal conflicts and maintain peace within the monkey community. Using case studies and research, Deval shows us that the natural world isn't exactly as full of conflict and strife as many people imagine. Selfishness and aggression are not the only significant common traits of living things. To have a greater chance of survival, many animals rely on cooperation and sharing. For those who stubbornly claim that humans are selfish by nature, there is another frequently used theoretical weapon, evolutionary theory. However, this theory of evolution isn't based on Darwin's ideas, but a distorted version social Darwinism. The idea was developed in the 19th century by a British political scientist, Herbert Spencer. It was Spencer who coined the phrase survival of the fittest. Social Darwinism holds that competition is a biological law. Those able to adapt and compete successfully, the robust and resilient succeed. The weak are losers who need to make room for the strong winners. Ultimately social Darwinism stresses that there is no place for the unfit in the world. In a society that promotes a restless spirit and a moderate desire for wealth, the strong often win at the expense of the weak. However, social Darwinism rationalizes this phenomenon by arguing that the strong also don't have to feel responsible for the weak. It provides a way for the successful to have peace of mind, giving them a reason to ignore the poor without a qualm. Thus, social Darwinism is fostered in entrepreneurial and meritocratic societies. But in Deval's opinion, social Darwinism has many flaws. He quotes the view of the anarchist and naturalist Peter Kropotkin. Kropotkin argued that the struggle for existence is not so much the struggle of individuals against one another but of masses of organisms against hostile environments. Those who understand the spirit of cooperation will have a better chance of survival than those who lack a team spirit. 
In other words, people gathering as a group to help each other acquire the skills to survive. We can check out the dangers of putting too much emphasis on social Darwinism through a counterexample. This case relates to Enron, an American corporation. Its CEO tried to mimic nature by instigating cutthroat competition within the company. The company rated the performance of all employees on a 1 to 5 scale. The best performer would be ranked 1, and the worst performer would be ranked 5. If an employee were rated 5, the company would publicize their rating. Furthermore, they would be asked to move to a different position within the company within two weeks. Alternatively, they better look for employment elsewhere. Enron's CEO regularly reminded the employees that greed and fear are the only two human drives, the only things that lead to progress. Enron assimilated its employees into this philosophy, and they became very anxious. People feared they might be laid off at any time. Working in this environment, everyone became deceitful, greedy, and exploitative. Under such circumstances, it was obvious the company couldn't last long. It finally collapsed in 2001. Enron sought to grow through creating internal competition but eventually tasted the bitter fruit of its own making. Company development is like a microcosm of society. If the whole society preaches self-interest, the operation of the social system will surely run into many problems, or in the long run even bring about its own downfall. After refuting misconceptions about human nature, Deval gives two reasons in support of the claim that humans tend to cooperate, share, and care for the weak. First of all, like many other animals, humans are social by nature. Humans will spontaneously respond to other people's joys and sorrows. This ability indicates that they can't truly thrive without intimate interpersonal relationships. Our bookie version of social, why our brains are wired to connect, discusses human sociability in detail. Let's consider the simplest form of emotional transmission. For example, when you hear your friend recounting a painful experience, you find yourself frowning and sighing in sympathy. These reactions can trigger your own feelings of depression. If you see a happy child, you will be affected in the same way, happiness is contagious. Their cheerful mood transmits to you. With the broader theme of intimacy, a child's development relies on the key bond of a close mother-child relationship. For example, during the regime of a dictator of Romania, thousands of newborn babies were raised in orphanages, deprived of the right to snuggle up and enjoy warm human contact. Later, the world witnessed the appalling consequences of this state of affairs. Without parents and proper care, these poor children were emotionally numb, they could neither laugh nor cry. They didn't even know how to play and could only curl up in a ball. Beyond their natural social character, since ancient times, like other animals, humans have been in the habit of living in groups. The social organization of Bushmen from West Africa retains the character of old ways of life. The Bushmen use antelope skins to cover their bodies, live in straw huts, use sharpened sticks for digging, and collect water in the shells of ostrich eggs. When they move on migrating, they stay close together. The women and children walk in the middle, flanked by the men who are responsible for scouting and protecting the group from dangerous animals. Such a way of life reveals a truth. Despite being higher up the food chain than other primates, our human ancestors weren't at the top. They had to watch out for adversaries that might appear at any time. 
To keep themselves and their families safe, individuals relied on group strength. And over time, the need for community has become deeply ingrained. Today, whenever faced with danger or disaster, people still develop a sense of solidarity and cohesion. They are interdependent and want to feel part of a community. Due to the two reasons we have discussed, competition can't be the be-all and end-all of life. In society, people also need to unite, cooperate, and help each other. This concludes the first part. Let's wrap it up with a recap. Deval refutes the view that humans are selfish by nature. He argues that cooperating, sharing, and caring for the weak is a natural human tendency. There are two reasons for this trait. First, people are social by nature, and second, their need for community is deeply ingrained. Today we are just sharing limited content. To unlock more key insights of world-class bestseller please download our app. Just search for B-O-O-K-E-Y at Apple Store or Google Play, get your free mind snack now.